Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And yeah. the record company was like, we're begging you to be Humpty Hump, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. I was also begging him. I was like, just give me more of that. How hard is that? Listen, Humpty Hump, he got busy in a Burger King bathroom. I'm sure also at a Taco Bell. How about that song? And yeah. probably also like at the combination KFC Taco Bell. Just keep giving me this. I want more of <laughs> yeah. this. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Fellas, I am so excited. It is Wednesday night. It is Wednesday night, and we're doing a new decade. I'm excited. Yeah! I mean... It's amazing. Uh, here on the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, that's a network where you can get podcasts about um, the types of clothes Ben Affleck wears. Uh, and and there, there's this podcaster, and she ranks the outfits, uh, ranks Nicole Kidman's wigs. I mean, this is good stuff. Also, college football, fantasy football, all that great stuff, but really – you can find a podcast network that is going to rank Nicole Kidman's wigs. You jump at the chance, do you not? Sounds good. Sounds good. No question okay. about it. I think you guys are just in your head going through Nicole Kidman's wigs. I am. I actually <laughs> got distracted by Nicole Kidman's wigs. I, I, went, I went to a special place for a second. <laughs> ben, how is Knoxville tonight? We're bumping along. Beautiful fall weather right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Excellent. As the apocalypse lifted in Berkeley, Jeff. Yeah, I've had clean air for a full week, and uh, it has really made a huge difference. Like awesome. I think, I think the whole community took a collective exhale and then gulped in fresh air right. and is acting, acting a little more like itself, a little less panicky. So Great. that's good. Well, and according to the the calendar, five more days till the locusts. So you got a little, <laughs> a little space. Great. For you. Um, all right. Uh, before we get to the Grammy winner, it is our fourth decade. We've been at this a while. Wow. We started with 1969 with baby names, the top baby names of 1969. I thought. It's high time we revisit baby names. Oh, man, I suck at that. But we're going to play a little game called Two Strikes and You're Out. Right. So, so I've got the top five boy baby names for 1990 and the top five girl baby names for 1990. You all are going to alternate. You have to say a name from the top five of either gender. If you this get is two, awesome. 
If you get two strikes, you lose. I'm still losing. I like right. rules. This is great. Who, right. So who goes first? Uh, ben Barton, you're more excited, so you get to go first. Oh, Jacob. Jacob is a strike. What? Oh, my God. William. No, Jacob. William is a strike. And oh, oh my gosh. Oh no, dude, I'm on the clock right now. Like I could be out right here. You could be out right here, right. but he's gonna have to match. He's gonna have to come up so with a So hold on, just to clarify, you're born in 1990. Yep. All right, so these are the students. So I teach law school. So these are the students I had in 2012. Yes. Caleb. Yep. <laughs> no. Oh remember. Amer Tennessee does not actually accurately oh, reflect so all how of dare America. You. How dare you slag the great state of Tennessee? <laughs> right now, Caleb is on Rocky Top. Like, I was, I am class of 2012. Um, I'll go uh, with Christopher. Christopher is there. Jeff wins uh, this contest. How, how can I lose this? And uh, not, not slowly either. I lost yeah. right quick. <laughs> right okay, quick. I'll, go for, I'll go first with the girls. Uh, oh. oh no, we're done, man. That's it's, it's oh. over. The, the, oh. the gig. I thought we were doing the boys and then the girls. Now, you right, want to humiliate me again? No. <laughs> yeah. Number gonna... number five in the girls. It goes Samantha, Amanda, Samantha. Brittany, Ashley, and the number one girl's name, Jessica. Oh, I would have had Jessica. All right. I should have guessed yeah. that. All right. Je and, Je uh, Jessica Rabbit probably inspired. For the boys, <laughs> counted down from five. Daniel, Joshua, Matthew, Christopher, and the number one boy's name in America for the 40th year in a row is Michael. Michael. All right. Let's cheer things up, Jeff Simons, with this awkward transition into the Grammy winner. I actually, okay, I'm so thrilled this is the Grammy winner because Unlike almost every other Grammy winner, I have a story about the Grammy winning song, which I will say after we endure some of it. Ready? <laughs> yes. It's the Grammy winner. From a Distance by Betty Midler. By Bette Midler. How many times do we have this keyboard intro? Every song is this keyboard intro. Every time. From a distance, the world looks blue and green. I have no guess and on this. Is this Live Beneath My Wings again? I can't you remember what song this is. Oh my gosh. From a distance, the ocean meets the stream and the eagle takes to fly. I love Eagles and Flames. From a distance. Okay, we can stop there. Ben Barton, Bat that's Midler. a Bette Midler, two in a row. Two Grammys in a row. That's why I thought it was the same song. It's yeah. not the uh, same song. That's no. What is that? Is that also from Beaches? I don't uh, know. I think it was a follow-up. Yeah, it's just from an album, I think. Was it from Beaches 2, Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> that's just gold. Okay, speaking of gold... Right. I have a story about From a Distance. I, I knew it. this was the answer because I watched the Grammy Awards that year. And they were doing a thing that year at the Grammy Awards where they were letting the songwriters come out and sing their songs rather huh. than the artist 
that had performed them. Whoa, bad call. (laughs) Well, you would think, right? So Julie Gold, who is the writer of From a Distance, Uh comes on stage to sing From a Distance. Now, I had hated From a Distance. Like, it was one of the, like, just like Ben, it was just like anti-music matter. Like, that that keyboard and a cheesy, I was just like, this song's unforgivable. Julie Gold comes out, and and the first thing you say to yourself is, oh, that's why she's a songwriter. Because she's, she, I mean, let's just be frank. Like me, she's a little funny looking, right? She's not somebody who you would, radio? you would not pick her out of a crowd to be a, uh, a recording artist, super, okay. like on television. Okay. It's down at the piano, not a che- cheesy little keyboard, but a real grand piano and does a solo performance of From a Distance. When she gets to the second verse, I'm crying. I have tears. <laughs> what? Running down my face because this woman is phenomenal. She can pull yeah. her ass up. Her voice is spectacular. And I have built this whole thing in my head about like, if we were still a radio-based com- com- you know, commerce yeah. situation and we didn't have MTV and we didn't care what people looked like, frankly, which was the case when Bette Midler got her start, Julie Gold would be a superstar. She gets to the to the end where she does the from a distance. I cannot comprehend. And I actually yeah. make this little like <clears throat> noise because I'm crying <laughs> so hard. I am so moved by this woman's Yay. phenomenal talent. And she ends and they're like, yeah, way to go, Ugmo. Bring out the good cook. And that was the next thing was like oh. Millie Finley. But I, I, I stayed with me. I Were you by yourself? Yeah, yeah. I'm just sitting and uh, sitting crying by yourself. A, it must have been in the summertime because I was home, or maybe I was home for a vacation or whatever. But like, I was alone I mean, in, in the house I grew up in, just like, and like everything, like all my baggage about like the unknown artist versus yeah. the, the pretty boy on the poster. It just all came pouring out for Julie Gold. So Julie Gold, thirty years later, all right, crushed it. Go even though Julie I think Gold. the song is hokey and a little cheesy, that <laughs> version is unforgivable i thought you were brilliant that night but you're saying that there is a stripped down version that gets rid of all that 1990s keyboard crap yeah also i'm learning as i go to uh wikipedia born in havertown pennsylvania is she still alive she is she's still alive and it's uh she's 13 years older than we are okay and but her most recent performance was at the uh, synagogue in Cherry Hill, New Jersey in May 2009. So. Oh, dude. It's been a slow 11 years. That was yeah. it? All right. Was it puppet show first and then her at the synagogue? Or what was the order? So the she's, she's available for the podcast is what you're saying. I will look yeah. into that. I don't I know if go. my calling her funny looking is going to necessarily get her on. Dude, I uh, said she had a face made for radio. I'm way worse than you. Yeah. That's true. But she's better looking than I am. So uh, let me just make it clear. Like, I have oh, we have a that. we have faces made for podcasts. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's why we're here. Um, all right. So we're in 1990. I've got some history for you, and I have some news from a fan who Ooh. likes the history portion. And I was I was having an interaction with this fan. Uh, I was like, by the no, way, those- this is your imaginary friend for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, and I put a sock on my hand, and the fan's like, I love the history. <laughs> and you're like, Yeah, that's amazing, fan. <laughs> Thank you, Socky. 
Yeah, you sound like a preacher. Like I was talking to this man who worships the devil in a train station. Like, no, you weren't. You're like, anonymous fan who I won't right. name loves All this. Right. All right, point taken. Uh, <laughs> although this fan did say that they really enjoyed uh, Jeff's Waterboy's pick. Um, from, oh, now you're sucking up to yep. Jeff with the imaginary fan. Huh? <laughs> the imaginary fan hates me, though. That's weird. <laughs> the, imag the imaginary fan is out on some of your picks. Sure. <laughs> All right. So I've got some history for us here in 1990. Who was released from prison in 1990? Big deal. Uh, Lech Walesa from Poland. Or is that he earlier? actually, uh, I think, is released earlier, but he does become president of Poland oh, in 1990. Nelson Mandela. Nelson right. Mandela. Excellent. We also have two great reunifications in 1990 one will be very easy i'll be over the moon impressed if you get the other one well one's one, germany right one is germany east and west germany are reunited uh after their separation in world war ii what is the other reunification well the eagles get back together and <laughs> do, uh, do that hell freezes over tour but that's nope. probably not what you're talking about nope. north and south 1990? Uh, all right. It is North Yemen and South Yemen no are reunited. Uh, they got split up. The, the one was claimed by the Ottoman Empire. The other one was claimed by the British Empire. Uh, there's a family uh, of students who I've taught, and I just love these guys, and they are from Yemen. So Yemen has a special place in my heart, thanks to these students. Um, can I ask quickly that when you hear the yeah. name, when you hear the country Yemen, does anybody yeah. else think of Chan Chandler Bing getting on the airplane to break up with his girlfriend? No. I'm going to Yemen. Or is that just me? <laughs> Sorry. I guarantee there's at least one listener out there who's like, thank you, Jeff, for bringing up Chandler right. well, going they can, to Yemen. They can get on Twitter uh, and you guys can talk about friends. Um, we have... Uh, we have some, some good news. You know, last year was really kind of a downer, and I avoided talking a lot of that history. The Hubble Space Telescope is launched in 1990. Ben Barton, why is the Hubble Space Telescope a big deal? Oh, dude, the pictures are beautiful. I mean, this, there's a scientific reason. Basically, I think if you're outside the atmosphere, you get better better yep. views of things. But, dude, the pictures, I, I remember, like, getting the Time magazine and the National Geographic and unfolding it. Like, it was incredible. It, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So great. Um, all right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We also have a gentleman named Tim Berners-Lee. Anyone ever hear that name before? Maybe. That is bringing zero bells right now. Tim Berners-Lee publishes a formal proposal for the World Wide Web in 1990. Ah, nice. He, he does it at CERN in Switzerland. Either of you know anything about CERN? Oh, I've been there. I've been there. When did you go there? Uh, my brother and I went, and it was like, they, that's where they have the the accelerator. The accelerator. Oh, the dude, it was really off the hook good. That was an amazing trip. So you've got uh, an English teacher and a history teacher who bring their kids everywhere of historical or humanities significance. And what we did on our trip to Europe is we said, by golly, science. And we brought our scientific children to CERN so they could explain things to us. Um, yeah, we still don't really understand what it was all about. Moving on. <laughs> I have never been. I think we have a particle accelerator a mile from my house at UC Berkeley. That's a big deal. That's like under the earth. My really? daughter and I were actually just discussing CERN because we uh -huh. were talking about outside risks. And so I was like, well, you know, sometimes you have to take these, these small distant risks. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, when I went to CERN, they were like, we're doing this particle acceleration and we're going to try and figure out what a quark is. And uh, there's a slight danger to that. And this is like you know, on the tour. And I was like, well, right. what's the danger? They're like, there's a one in 10,000 shot that we create a black hole that destroys <laughs> existence. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I hear bad things about that. <laughs> you sure you want to do this? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah it's a distant risk. Yeah. Like, the we're science is way better. We're willing to take that risk. Yeah, I tried to explain that. You know, they, the did not, well. they did not warn me of that on the Kellogg's serial tour, that there was a one in 10,000 chance that Tony the Tiger would create a black hole. Oh, dude, the Kellogg's tour, there's a one in 100 chance to be a fat person and it'll be a disaster. Like, they <laughs> yeah. should have actually warned you about actual risk. Oh, totally. All right, are you ready for the number one hit, Jeff Simon? Let's do it. It's the number one hit. Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> It's been seven hours and fifteen days Since you took your love away I go out every night and sleep all day Since you took your love So great. 
So they've released the original Prince demo on it. Jeff, you've heard it. Which do you prefer? You know, there's such different songs in those two different. I actually, um, I like that O'Connor uh, de-jazzed it a little bit. Some of the chord changes in Prince's versions are a little bit precious and it makes it much more of a gospel song. Whereas this version is, uh, is so much more rock and roll. It's like all major and minor chords. And, and uh, I think Sinead's vocals pretty I remarkable. totally agree. Her vocals are really, really, really spectacular. So okay. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I prefer her. I know in this moment of where everything Prince, I mean, we're in this moment, right, where he's just passed away, and every time they release anything, people, are like right. out, outdo themselves and like, can you believe the genius? And I mean, yeah, it's a great song, and he wrote it, but this is a killer version of it. I loved it right when I heard it. I still love it. Well, he chose her, right? Yeah, did he? I don't know though. I actually don't know how it got from him to her. Did he actually hear yeah. the first record? Yeah, and for sure. It to her? He yeah. had like, dude, this is like it's similar to the uh, like uh, multiple other acts where he gave songs to. He right. chose her. He was like, "What do you think?" And she was smart enough to record it, and it's right. great. I I like his better, I, but I mean that's just because I'm a Prince guy and he's got a guitar solo. She doesn't have a guitar solo. Um, but hearing and also his is less shiny. This is just a yes. much more straight up guitar, bass, drums, singing. Um, but yeah, man, she brings a real beauty to it. And his, his is a straight up blues song, I'm Sad yeah. Because You Left Me. Hers is an existential cry. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, she's just like out on everything. I, and yep. I, love, I love her attitude when she's like, guess what he told me? Guess what he told me? I mean, it, it's more than sadness. Uh, the, there's the anger that she's got going on. It might actually just be the gender flip. You know, when you hear Otis Redding's respect, Super it's great. Yeah. But when you hear Aretha do it, like it's a whole different thing. And this has a similar, like hearing a guy sing Nothing Compares to You has a flavor to it that's very familiar. And Sinead's, putting it in Sinead's voice with her fragility, and, but also just the, her like kind of, F you distance. That's really powerful. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And, and then, she kill, then she kills her whole career. Just like absolutely throws it in the toilet. You're not talking about ripping up the uh, picture of the post. I am. I, she'll never, I mean, that was it. That was, I mean, boy, would, did she underestimate the world's venom. I watched that live. I was like, huh. Oh, I didn't too. think it was going to be any big deal at all. She did this. She uh, fight the real enemy, tore it up. And I was like, oh, that's kind of bold. I, I hid in sleep. the- I woke up the next morning no. and she was like the I, most hated woman in the world. I hid under my bed when I saw her do that. Oh my God, no, you can't do that. Is that right? Uh, oh my no, God. No, but dude, also this is an unpopular take, but I mean, the material wasn't good. She never had a song that was in the neighborhood of this song. Yeah, no, no, no. I really like- uh, I, You I don't really like Black like Boys, Black on, Boys on My Peds? And I really like, um, the, what's the first song? Now? I will not take this for granted. And her cover of um, Successful Make a Failure of Ourselves from the, from the next record is incredible. Whoever did the strings uh, arrangement on that should have won the Grammy. But I you're mean, right. She, she's em not, she doesn't I, have a wealth of great tunes. I had uh, Ember's New Clothes uh, in the running for 1990. Ooh. I like her. I like her. She's good. My uh, college girlfriend really liked that song. Yeah. I think it's a great song. Kevin Brown uh, in New York, though, he, he was the one going after me on our, our Facebook page uh, asking if all my picks are going to be Boston-based. And so I feel <laughs> I need to... He, he said uh, he was wondering if New Kids on the Block were going to make it. Um, 
And I passed up on New Edition, right? I didn't pick New Edition. All right. <laughs> it was kind of hard. You got to go with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, not I New got Edition. got that coming. Sure. Oh, my gosh. So much. Speaking of Boston, let's go to our cynicism question. Two big events happened right where I am. I am at Northeastern University on Huntington Avenue in 1990. And the Isabella Gardner Stewart Museum is robbed. Do you know about this theft? Still unsolved to this day. Uh, $500 million worth of art. Uh, you know, oh, is this when they steal the, one of the screams? Is this when one of Munch's the screams got stolen? No, it's oh, mostly okay. uh, Rembrandt. Uh, it's the, uh, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. It does beg the question. And we are an incredibly sophisticated podcast. It's not just like music and fart jokes. Uh, is Rembrandt overrated? <laughs> is Rembrandt overrated? Uh, is that uh, your invitation to cynicism question? That is it. I, this is the hot take. Uh, Rembrandt. Overrated. I am happy to take this one. And the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Rembrandt is Wax City. Totally overrated. I'm not into <laughs> that late realism period at all. I much preferred when they moved into Impressionism. Out on Rembrandt. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, yeah, Rembrandt's, Rembrandt's, Rembrandt's like the last season of Game of Thrones. It's so dark you can't even see what's happening, right? right? <laughs> He wants to be Vermeer, but he can't get there. All right, we're all done with Rembrandt. The other thing happening, so, so the, the theft occurs just down the street from Northeast University. And in January of 1990, at Fort Apache Studios, a young Jeff Tweedy and a young Jay Farrar get together and they record Uncle Tupelo's uh, first album, is it called No Depression? Two things that, that happened. That record is recorded in Boston. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because Jeff, they're from Indiana, right? Yeah, they're from Joliet, yeah. I think. Il Illinois. Oh, Illinois. The Illinois, oh, Illinois Indiana. Right. right, but they're right, right in the tip, right by Indiana. So they were they were touring and they had a bunch of songs, and then they they got 10 days of uh, studio space. Right, right by me. I could have been part of an incredible uh, art theft or uh, the start of a brilliant career. I that that was great, just, too. That, by that the way, the you might have yeah. just solved it. Maybe Jay Farrar is an international art thief, and that's why he disappeared. It's possible. That's why he writes bad songs now. He's just living off that Vermeer thing. Oh, wow. That's what okay. I'm saying. Okay. I love the idea of, of Jay Farrar coming home, cracking open a beer, and putting his feet up in front of like a Rembrandt <laughs> that nobody knows that he has. <laughs> All right. Um, all right, now we got to get to the um, impossible question. Here's where we get to the NBA. Come Who on, just think about NBA it. You'll title get it. In 1990. 1990. Ben Barton. Uh, oh, I mean, he just doesn't want to say. I'm not saying. Sure. Just go ahead and somebody else fill me in. Oh, you know the answer. Yes, I know the answer. Oh, well, Jeff, why isn't he saying? What's happening because right now? Because it was so brutal. It wasn't the Knicks, and it, it uh, oh. Yeah. Oh. I assume that's what it is. Yes, that's right. Who was it, yeah. Jeff? Well, isn't that that's that's Michael's first title because the Pistons are eighty eight, eighty nine, right? Or is it the Pistons' second title? P Pistons are ninety. Okay, so All Jordan's right. first title is ninety one. Yep. Okay. So you've got Joe Dumars, Vinnie Johnson, and Isaiah Thomas. 
one of the all-time great three-guard combos in NBA history. Would you agree there? Yeah, that's fair. Those guys are great. Okay, yeah. awesome. In the movies, you have Ghost starring Patrick Swayze, Dances with Wolves starring Kevin Costner, and Hunt for Red October starring Alec Baldwin. Three giant leading men leading these Hollywood movies to superstardom. Take the Detroit Piston big three and this Hollywood big three and tell me who's who. No. Come on. I decline. I decline. Two of those movies are embarrassments and a disaster. (laughs) Like you can't put those two movies, those, those performances are terrible and the movies are worse. Uh, the only movie in there that's any good is Hunt for Red October, and Alec Baldwin's a cipher in the movie. He does nothing. Like, that's the, the, it's the uh, Sean Connery kills that movie. Is Whoopi Goldberg. You should do Sean Connery, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg, and the, the, the Wolf. That's it. Those are the three best performances. <laughs> Wait, can in we those just movies. say my favorite movie quote from 1990 is when Kevin Costner voices over, I will name him Two Socks. No, it's two boots. It's two boots. You got it wrong. No, it's two socks. Are you sure? Yeah, and the thing that makes me like crazy is I know how movies are made. That must have been take 106. Oh, yeah. That voiceover. I will name him two socks. Try it again. I will name him two socks. I mean, I just, (laughs) I can't believe how bad that movie is. Yeah, no, totally. Listen, I'm just going to go ahead and say Waterworld was a lot better. What about The Postman? That's also better. Is hard to be first, worse. Hard to be worse than Dances with Wolves. Isn't the first six minutes of Dances with Wolves the postman? Isn't he like running back <laughs> yeah, and forth on the horse while they shoot at him? It's the same movie. Yeah. He was like, you know, make a great movie is a three-hour version of that first scene of my other three-hour movie. Uh, so you know, so I would put, I put Connery. Connery is the Vinnie Johnson because he's he, like warming it up check. every yeah. time yeah. he's on screen. He's just filling it up completely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's then, good. I put Whoopi as Dumars because she's actually better than the leading person and she's kind of leading the way. Preach. And then I put the wolf as Isaiah. <laughs> because he will bite you to save his own ass. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Which and also, Isaiah the wolf Thomas was the sure. best part. You know, you can't argue with it. Okay. Yeah, so you have an Isaiah Thomas history not only because your Knicks played him, but then he became – the he Knicks. Just, well, I mean, I would say he ruined us, but there's there's multiple different players in that drama. But uh-huh. I'm just gonna go ahead and say the Isaiah Thomas years were not my favorite. I did not enjoy that. How long was he the GM? He came in and out. It was a he was the coach. He was the GM. And dude, it was one of those things where not only was he bad at his job, and if you're a Nick fan, you're used to being bad at your job. But yeah. he was also like a monstrous sexual harasser, and he uh, covered it up. And you're like, yeah. really? Yeah. Really? Like, you couldn't just be ordinarily bad at your no. job? Like He had to also be a terrible boss, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I retract the question because we got to get to our three songs. You know who Cost- you know, Costner is? Costner's Lambeer. Costner's <laughs> Lambeer. He'll post up. He'll, he'll break your eye socket for fun in a preseason game. He'll yeah. lie, cheat, steal to make one more movie. Like, I met Kevin Costner at, you did. Um, in, at, at that cheesy uh, Bahamas uh, 
what's it called, Atlantis or something like that? Like there's a big stupid hotel in Nassau, Bahamas, on Paradise yeah, Island in sure, the Bahamas. Sure. I was staying at a crappy hotel that was behind this monstrosity that got built. And the deal mm-hmm. they worked was, okay, if we, if we block the view of the ocean of your hotel, everybody who stays at your hotel can come and be on the Atlantis beach for free. Okay. So I'm like slumming in the quality inn and like <laughs> living on the beach. I'm walking through the, and there's a guy coming at me and he's like, you know, he's just like dripping in money and cheese ball and like, you know, flowing clothing. And literally my brain was like, who is this jackass? And then it went, and it, was Kevin it, it is the jackass. It is Kevin Costner. Wow. And I was like, hey, how's it going? And he was like, thanks for watching. I was like, oh, I didn't say I was watching. And that was my interaction. <laughs> so that felt pretty good. Thanks for watching. Oh, you assume too much, Kevin Costner. Slow down with the thing. Our three songs. Our three songs. Yeah, right, so the first thing I have to say is it's very brief, but I owe you to an apology. Oh. My wow. beloved wife, India Kincannon, listens to the podcast. Oh, my gosh. And she described my performance last week as unacceptable. Oh, no. And she said she'd never heard Jeff so excited about one of his selections. And that when he got to the second sub chorus, she was really into it. And then when I came over the top and dunked on it, it was not okay at all. <laughs> So I'm just going to go ahead and apologize for that. Well, we, we I'm a little bit like, you know, the it. Hamilton song when he's first introduced, he's like, am I talking too loud? Am I shooting my mouth off? Like I get a little out of hand. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize. No, uh, we want, we want act two Hamilton, like a dot ham. <laughs> Don't you pull that back at all. I the second it. thing I'm going to say is uh, in case it wasn't hundred percent clear, 89 super fun song, in my opinion, 90s, a fun song. 91's a fun song. These are the last couple of years of college, and it was really fun. I was having a good time. All right. So 90 and 91, assuming I'm allowed to, based on the time police, right, I choose right. songs that we would put on in the parties that we threw in college, and the entire floor went nuts. Literally nobody stood back from hearing these songs. So I'll tell more of the story first, but Jeff, hit me. Yes, I know it. The Humpty <laughs> The Humpty the Unfortunate. <laughs> Alright, stop what you're doing, cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. I look funny, but yo, I'm making money, see? So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me. Now gather round, I'm the new fool in town, and my sound's laid down by the underground. I drink a ball of Hennessy you got on your shelf So just let me introduce myself My name is Humpty Pronounced with the Humpty Yo ladies, oh how I like to funk thee And all the rappers in the top ten Please allow me to bump thee I'm stepping tall y'all And just like Humpty Dumpty You're gonna fall when the stereos pump me I like to rhyme, I like my beats funky I'm spunky, I like my oatmeal lumpy I'm sick with this Straight gangster Mac but sometimes I get ridiculous I'll eat up all your crackers and your licorice Oh, yo, fat girl Come here, are you ticklish? Yeah, I called you fat Look at me, I'm skinny It never stopped me from getting busy I'm a freak I like the girls with the boom I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom I'm crazy Allow me to amaze thee They say I'm ugly, but it just don't faze me I'm still getting in the girls' pants And I even got my own dance So yeah, so this is our first 
Like this is a West Coast rap song. Right. This is one of the first rap songs to come out of Oakland. Here's a crazy thing about the Digital Underground. <laughs> okay. They're basically a one-hit wonder. They have a song. The first single off this record is Do What You Like, which is good. It's good. It's not this, but it's good. This song, in my opinion, is just a masterwork of the genre. I love it. <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to make a bold statement. This is my favorite bass line. Oh, wow. And it's not even a bass. No. It's just, a, it's just boom. They're just manipulating it. It's no, awesome. no, dude. I, I read an interview with Shock G, and he says he's got a fretless bass, and he's making that noise. Is that right? They're not doing that with a keyboard? That's, That's what bass. he says. I mean, Shock, okay. the, 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 the main guy who's the Humpty Hump guy yeah, yeah, is yeah. a multi-instrumentalist, and he claims that he made that with a, with a fretless bass. But, dude, it's a really controversial. Like, if you go into the Reddit world of bassists, there's a whole <laughs> subcategory of conversation, like, but first, there's a whole category like, what sample is this? That's like, where did they get that from? It's not a sample. It's an original baseline just for this song. I mean, the do me baby and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, all of that stuff is parliament. <laughs> like basically they're, they're like a parliament cover band. They let's like, yeah. Shakti love those guys. Um, but yeah, that baseline is unbelievable. The part waits too long. The stupid song is six minutes long. Is it at really? The end, at the end of the song, he's like, wait a little bit of bass groove in there. I do. And the other night, Georgia was like, what song are you choosing? And I just said, a do. <laughs> she was like, oh, nice. <laughs> she was pleased about it. As you can imagine, for Super Fun Kids Mix, this was a huge hit. Yeah. Um, so Digital Underground, Shock G is the guy. He's the main producer. And they had like eight different iterations. And they're kind of this weird collective, a little bit like Public Enemy, except they kept rotating through. And he created an alter ego called Humpty Hump. And he had a whole like backstory <laughs> for it. The, the record Sex Packets has it. A, it's a concept record around a drug that's like getting an orgasm. And that's the whole story of the record. And then he was like, that's not enough. I'm going to have this second person. He raps sometimes as himself, Shock G, and then sometimes as Humpty Hump. The Humpty Hump story is that he's an old soul singer who burns his face making rice and beans. And that's why his nose is messed up. <laughs> and so he physically wears a Groucho Marx mask with a big African-American nose and then a huge stogie. And he dresses up like a pimp and then comes out and does nothing but tell lies. Like the whole song is just him <laughs> lying about how awesome he is at sex and how great his life is. So... <laughs> But the, the, here's a little, and then the second thing that's crazy about them is this is where Tupac gets to start. The first band that Tupac is in is in this band. If you go back, really? and, if you go back and look at the Humpty Dance video, you have to really squint. One of the background dancers is freaking Tupac. It's a wow. crazy. Dude, not only did they start, give Tupac his start, he was the roadie. Like, if you read the interviews with Shock G, he's like, oh, he seemed like a nice kid. Yeah. Uh, all of the all of the amps were loaded up nicely, and then when I told him how to dance, he danced the way I liked. Dude, there's a story that Shock G tells for the Sex Packets tour. They actually gave out Sex Packets, so they had Ziploc bags with condoms and shots of whiskey in a little plastic thing, and they would throw it out to the crowd. And Shock G was like, "Tupac was great at making those bags, man." It's so <laughs> freaking funny. So. Uh, they have two really priceless artifacts in this band. They have the Humpty Hump character, which is uh, amazing. Like basically he considered himself to be a real artist and also, and he was, 
And he also considers himself to be a very serious rapper. The original version of Digital Underground was going to be a West Coast version of Public Enemy. And then he was like, no, we should be more hippie. We're going to be a West Coast version of De La Soul. And then the actual, th this one, the Humpty Hump is a ripoff of Slick Rick. He's like, I'm just going to pretend I'm Slick Rick. And it's amazing. And I'm like, no shade to Slick Rick at all. It's so much better than Slick Rick. Like, this is the best version of the funny, goofy rapper. No period. question. And it's an yeah. entire subgenre that's kind of faded. And again, that makes me sad. Like, if you go backwards in the last 15 years, there's like Lil Dicky, who's like a white rapper trying to be funny. Some of the Kanye stuff, in my opinion, is hilarious. But this oh, entire yeah. genre where it's just like, I'm just being as funny as I possibly can, has faded. Um, yeah, it's really too bad. You're right. Rap, and I lo rap loses me when it takes itself so seriously that there's well, no humor. Well, dude, poor Shock G. The record yeah. comes out. Do what you like is a is like a top forty R and B hit, not a top forty hit. Uh, this song is a is a pretty big hit. Not a not a, even a top ten hit, but it's a big hit. The, as you can imagine, the record company is like, we want a whole Humpty Hump record, just more Humpty Hump, Humpty Hump. He's like, yeah. oh no, no no, I'm a serious rapper. He releases like two more songs that even have any Humpty Hump verses on it, and it just destroys the career. Oh. And and he frig manages to fritter away. I mean, can you imagine having Tupac Shakur as a background dancer? No. Tupac doesn't even get a verse on the entire Sex Package record. They yeah. put it on an EP, and the lead single off the EP is a song called Same Song, and Tupac gets a verse. But I mean, they just did not recognize it at all. This song is 1990. In 1992, Tupac Shakur appears as basically the co-star in the movie Juice. And oh, it's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, he does, he's not supposed to be in the movie. He shows up to be there with a guy from Naughty by Nature who's trying out for the movie. The director of the movie, uh, who's the former cinematographer for Spike Lee, sees Ernest Tupac Dickinson. and is, yeah. he's like, do, do you want to read? Tupac reads. He makes him the co-star of the movie. He's not famous at all. Like, He's got Tupacalypse, I think, maybe has come out, but I mean, he's not a famous rapper. The first big thing he does is Juice, and he's still in Digital Underground, and they manage to fritter away. They just, they just don't, like, there's a uh, version of it where they put out a Digital Underground record that is, like, just nothing but Tupac with Shock G dancing in the background, and also just, like, opening the bank vault and shoveling the money in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead, he's like, you know what we need is less Humpty Hump, less Tupac, more me as a serious rapper. Uh, it just never this happens. This is how far they fell. Digital Underground was the band next door to one of my first San Francisco bands. Like when I showed up for rehearsal for the first time to play, there was like enormously loud band next door. I'm like, who has it? I'm like, oh, that's this band Digital Underground. And I was like, the Humpty Hump is next door. And I, I'm the only one who's excited. By 1994, people were like, what Humpty what like I was like and of course oh. they they were rehearsing next to us and we were nobodies so yeah so was, well I do sad. this is like one of the questions we've had running through here is these one hit wonders and sometimes you have a whole one album hit wonder where you're like I don't understand why you can't do it again right. this reminds me the first thing to remember is it's not easy to catch lightning in a bottle like nope. not everybody gets to do the Humpty dance like this is a all-time banger it's one of the 25 best rap songs ever recorded. It's amazing. So don't, you know, no shade to this guy. Like, I believe me, I yeah. didn't do that. Jeff didn't do that. Tim didn't do that. Like, that's a mate to ever once create a song that's as awesome as this is really, right. really amazing. So but then fun. second, there's the part where like pride gets in your mind and you get, get tied around the axle and you stop doing what you're good at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he was like, I want to be a gangster rapper. I want to be a politically conscious rapper. I don't want to be Humpty Hump. 
And yeah. the record company was like, we're begging you to be Humpty Hump. And I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. I was also begging him. I was like, just give me more of that. How hard is that? Listen, Humpty Hump, he got busy in a Burger King bathroom. I'm sure also at a Taco Bell. How about that song? And yeah. probably also like at the combination KFC Taco Bell. Just keep giving me this. I want more of <laughs> yeah. this. All ah. sorts of rhymes. That gives that whole Arby's, we've got the meats, a whole new meaning. Uh, dude, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no end the, to the Humpty Hump songs that we could spin out. That's the comeback uh, commercial that guy's been looking for, man. Now, did he have any scars on his face? No, he's a perfectly good-looking guy. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> he was a good-looking dude. But, I mean, that's it worked a, a lot better with that, that. The nose and the glasses was genius. Well, I, I love... Go ahead. Sorry, Tim. I, I just love the image you said. You know, you put this on at a college party and everybody goes crazy. Oh, and, oh. and that that resonates with me. I mean, that is just a fun dance song. Oh, um, the whole, that pe- I mean, people went crazy. The floor over. was shaken, yeah. There's yeah. another oh, song which Ben we, will choose next, which was our other anthem. But this was every, every. We've had a series of 40-year-old and 50-year-old birthday parties that are big parties, like where you have it in a, a place. And then, then uh-huh. like, I've gotten, like, like the DJs, they've asked me to talk to the DJ, and I'm like, Humpty Hump, like, you gotta, like, put that on. It still, still works like a song. Still like, kills. Everybody's out there. And, uh, like, and not only is everybody out there, there's, and it's mostly guys, but there, there are multiple guys all together doing the entire thing. Like, memorize yeah. the song, yeah. game, game, just rapping it all to each other. So fun. All right, Jeff, what were you going to say? Oh, I didn't remember. I'm, I'm uh, carried away. Uh, <laughs> fun stuff. Fun stuff. All right, Jeff Simons. I'm a complete, you, this is great because I'm a complete left turn. Like this, okay. this couldn't be more different. And I, I start with I love the Humpty Dance. I still love the Humpty Dance. It's one of those ones where I'm like, if I'm in the car and I'm just doing stations and the old R&B soul station spits it out, I'm just like, Let's go. I'm never, we'll never skip away from it. So here's the total other side of Jeff's musical diet. 1990, um, and 89 was a was a down year, right? And my choice is very, it was very beetly and twee, and this is the opposite. This is just raw energy. And um, so, I grew up in D.C. I'm a punk rock guy, and uh, the by far and away the most important band in D.C. when I was a kid was a band called Minor Threat. It was uh, the leader, Ian Mackay, um, helped found Discord Records, this whole DIY thing. And they were straight edge punks, like no drugs, no drinking, no fighting, like make your art, make a statement. And for a, a kid like me, like I was like, yes, I, I, I was drawn to the whole thing. Sadly, Minor Threat only lasted about a year and a half. They only made 20 songs total. And okay. each song's about a minute and a half long. So tiny little discography. And then nothing from Ian Mackay when I was a sophomore, junior, senior in high school. There's nothing. He made like a, a two-song single with the, with the old drummer called Egg Hunt. And I'm, I mean, I'm just like, this guy's only like two years older than me. Like, he can't be done. And in 1989, he shows up again in a band called Fugazi. Um, and he's he, oh. it's co-led with him and a guy named Guy Piccolotto from a band called Rites of Spring. And they have a killer rhythm section, Brandon Canty and, and uh, this other guy. And um, the first song, the first record's called 13 Songs. And it's super good, but it's, it's like a classic first record, right? Like some songs are amazing, some songs less so. They obviously recorded it for like a dollar and a half. Like some of the songs sound great and some don't. Um, and that was kind of what Discord was like. Like a band would come together, they'd make a record, and then they break up. They're like the Discord discography is like 
tons of one and dones of like DC punkers. But unlike all those other stories, in 1990, Fugazi puts out a record called Repeater. Um, and they are, their whole thing is they take the straight edge punk thing and push it to another level. We're going to tour nationally. We're not going to take any sponsorship. We are our own record company. We distribute our own records. We set the price of the records $3 cheaper than everybody else's. We will not play a show for more than five bucks. Like every Fugazi show costs $5, whether it's in a church basement or it's at, at a fancy. And so they, they can't use the venues that everybody else is using because the venues have taxes and they, they're like, you have to charge $9.50 or you'll lose money. I'm like, fine. So they find all these independent, like literally I saw Fugazi twice in Unitarian church basements. Like, and Ben and I saw Fugazi together around this time in this warehouse in Fort Mason, where I think the echo from that show 30 years later is still churning. I mean, you frequently saw Fugazi in places where live music wasn't the design, right? But they were so determined to do it right. So this is the best song on that record. And it's the song that, like, if, you, if there was a couplet that describes this band, it's the couplet of this chorus, which is, we owe you nothing, you have no control. So this is a song called merchandise and it's fugazi at their absolute best and i'll talk about musically why i love them but first let's just get the heart rate going here merchandise by fugazi So unlike all the Discord bands that blew up and only lasted like six or seven months, Fugazi hung in for 12 years. Oh, and they made I've heard of Fugazi, yeah. They made seven or eight records. They changed a lot as a band. Like they, they had all these different flavors. They became a really amazing live group. Um, and they're on hiatus probably permanently. They haven't done anything for a really long time together. Uh-huh. But uh, um, the I love they combine part pieces of punk rock that I really love. They've got great guitar sound. They've got a just explosive, spectacular drummer. And they have these moments where they just let it out. Like the chorus with those big F sharp, I mean, to be like, it's like just big driving, but then they pull it back in the choruses and it has that kind of angular wire gang of four. Like one of the guitar parts is just a single chord noise. Radiohead steals a lot of ideas from Fugazi when they start constructing multiple guitar parts to spectacular effect in their music as well. But um, this is a band that 
Like there's a lot of people you can admire and then the art's not so great. You know, like there right. are people I admire and then they write a book and I'm like, oh, I'm just forcing my way through this because I admire this person. And I'm like, okay, this is a band I deeply admire and I truly love. And that just doesn't happen very often. And I, uh, yeah, so 1990 for me is either jumping up and down to Humpty Dance and songs <laughs> like that in a, in a basement at Haverford or sitting in my room on headphones just just drilling this as I tried to finish papers. I just love Good this band. Stuff. And this Wait, is you, my favorite you listen to this band. as you tried to finish your paper? Oh, this is nothing so, like this record at oh, 3 a.m. I was so jittery. Oh, totally oh, agree. I just like, totally agree. I just, I, I could, I put on Stavazzi's record and I, I could write, <laughs> I could write five pages in an hour because I just like, my heart rate was like 165 beats per minute. Yeah, oh, that's really awesome. So that's my awesome. take. Tim, you're going to dig this reference, man. Are you ready, Jeff? Yeah. It's a peaches and herb moment for us. It's reunited okay. and we feel so good. Yeah. Like, I'm just so thrilled with this take. I love this band. Oh, going to see them is like an all-timer memory for me. That was so fun. Uh, I think I like Repeater better, but you're not going to argue with that. Like those, that's a yeah. 1A, 1B on this record. Like the, both of these songs are freaking great. Yeah. So yeah, Jeff's right. Like, uh, and we saw... <laughs> Pearl Jam a couple of times this when they were on their strike of playing at regular places, but nothing uh -huh. as weird as this. This was an abandoned warehouse. <laughs> and so yeah. Jeff and I drive down and it's like down in the like dock area in San Francisco and we park. And I mean, you're like walking out and you can imagine it's like just a whole bunch of dudes with mohawks and crazy looking women with all these piercings and everything. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, dude, we go in and it's, there's, it's just like, it's a stage. You can barely see them because there's yeah. no stage. It's a, it's a warehouse and they're like five feet above. They, they come on and there's a mosh pit. Like I've been to multiple different punk shows and Scott right. shows. I was used to a mosh pit. There was a mosh pit that was 50 yards deep. Like yep. a sea, a circular sea of people going nuts in front of them. It was so far off the hook. And hey, Jeff, <laughs> this may be apocryphal, but have you read this? Dude, that show is medium famous. Yeah. Pearl Jam came and watched them, and the real Fugazi heads consider this a landmark show where it got spoiled. Yeah, I know, right? We were and they're the like, you know, what, what spoiled it was Ben Barton showed up. That was the problem. <laughs> when you have Ben Barton at this show, not okay, not punk enough anymore. Wait, would the Fugazi heads think that Fugazi got too mainstream? Totally. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. That's because insane. they were like, when Pearl Jam likes them, they were like, that's weak right there. We just only Yeah, but they were know. in a warehouse with a 50-yard mosh pit. Come on. Yeah, no, no, no. And Pearl Jam was across the, the bay recording verses. Like you know, they were at, they were at the they were at the studio in in Sausalito making verses uh -huh. when that show happened, and that's why they were in town. And they went. And, uh, yeah, and you can hear it. Frankly, we'll get there, but you can hear the difference between ten and verses a little bit. Right. But All that right. was so fun. I just loved. Yeah, and I saw them in uh, 1999 in Watsonville, which is a kind of a, a agricultural town outside of Santa Cruz at a at a unitarian church and uh okay. it was like every lonely sad teenager within 150 miles was at that show and they you know well, they also they let they let local bands open like i watched three local watsonville bands like punk bands play their three songs 
for like they each got like 10 minutes so like yeah. the first hour is just like the local scene and then Fugazi just comes out uh, one thing you uh, I will say before we go on if you have the time look up on the internet having fun with Fugazi on stage because it's a 45 minute collection of Ian Mackay baiting and yelling at audience members who are being too aggressive <laughs> in this play but I think and it's based on the Elvis Presley talking record. And it's literally, they, uh, Fugazi put all their live records up uh, like four or five years ago, like literally like 700 shows. And uh, uh -huh. so somebody took the time to get the funniest. Oh my God, who did that? Interactions and made one long 45 minute. I mean, it's just like one more like, yo, 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 yo. Why did you hit her? Who do you think you are? Are you going uh. to spit at me? Oh, F me? Oh, well, F you, why don't you come up here and say that to my face instead of that 95-pound girl you keep smashing into like a gorilla? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, let's take it out. I mean, for 45 minutes, and like the quality of the sound drops, and sometimes he's in a foreign country, and they don't really understand him. Wow. Really recommended. So that would be a Fugazi head, the person who put that together. Oh, that... yeah. It might, be, it might be like Ian's friend, and he threw it up there as a practical joke, but it's great. Wow. All right. So if, if we just took a big left turn, we are now, ladies and gentlemen, going to take a big old right-hand turn. Uh, it's 1990. I am, I am listening to George Michael, uh, Sinead O'Connor, uh, World Party around the clock, but none of them are going to, to be my song. Because in 1990... I was flicking the channels on the old cable and somehow I came to CMT and I don't mess with country music. I'm from Situate, Massachusetts. I don't like country music, but I'm transfixed by the scene I'm watching because it's at uh, Irving stadium, Dallas Cowboys home. It is wall-to-wall -wall people and the kind of stadium uh, you'd see for U2 or for the Rolling Stones and I'm like what the hell is this this is a country song how are this many people at a country music concert and they all know the words and are singing along to a man named Garth Brooks singing I got friends Tim low you don't have to do this, man. It's not too late to back Hit off it, and do Freedom 90. <laughs> it's not too late. You can help us. Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. Uh, right there. Right there. Game over. That's a tough get. Yeah. I tried to help Tim out. You, you can't talk over mine. Talk over the Grammy, not me. up in boots Ruined your black tie fair Last one to know, last one to show I was the last one you thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes When I took his glass of champagne I toasted you, said honey
Jeff, you look, you look like the face of death. Just like from Fugazi to Garth Brooks. Here's the thing. <laughs> you're, you're the most authentic person I know. And yeah. I mean that in the most genuine sense. Like you are most likely Thank to you. run to a built, burning building to save somebody's stuffed animal. Like, and this song is so full of shit. Like, how could you possibly pick this as an extension of yourself? You know what I don't believe? Uh -oh. Is that this, this posing upper middle class guy has friends in low places. I've <laughs> never believed a singer less in my life. Garth Brooks would walk into the Oasis and be like, oh, no thank you. And he'd go next door to the Olive Garden and get a and onion. That is a fern bar white wine <laughs> drinking face if i've ever seen one this whole thing is just a doctored attempt like hey irving stadium y'all like beer me too it's like that gitter dunn comedian who's actually a, a guy from boston who invented that larry the cable guy character yeah yeah to get over garth brooks is the larry the cable guy of american music and it's why wow. he's popular and it's why he sucks and I can't believe this is your choice. And I think you're doing it just because you knew it was going to poke me so hard. <laughs> I hate this guy. And I like the Eagles more than I like Garth Brooks. <laughs> I hate Garth Brooks so much, I refuse to acknowledge him as a major artist. He drives me You like the Eagles like, better than Garth Brooks? Wow, oh, that's much saying more. something. I'd rather listen to Eagles Live on a loop than, than <laughs> Garth Brooks for 25 minutes. All right. Your feelings have been noted. Uh, ben, what do you think? You like this song? You hear it all the time. I do. I know this song backwards and forwards, and I don't really care for it. Uh, I have two <laughs> things to say. The first thing is that um, I was really hoping you were going with Steve Earle. There was a chance that you were going to help us out and go Steve. You uh, might be in jail song? in 1990. I don't like Guitar Town is 1986, I guess. Uh, um, yeah, man, someday the hard way comes out in 1990. Oh, yeah, Austin, yeah. I don't know that. That, that was not on uh, CMT. Sorry. But um, I have a separate story that's about this. So um, the way that they did sales for the record companies and for Billboard was they would, it was like the way they do ratings for TV shows. They would mail a mailer to the record stores in America. And the manager of the record store would write out what the sales were and they would mail it back. Okay. You will not be surprised to find out that this was a rather inaccurate way to do sales. Uh -huh. And in fact, TV ratings reflect this. So for example, when you're asked, I did this once, I was a, we were a Nielsen family and I was like, it's weird. We watch nothing but PBS. I love Shakespeare. That's great. <laughs> I just filled it out like we were the smartest people in the world. <laughs> even though we never watched any of that crap. Yeah. Dude, that's what the sales things did. So um, because of the barcodes, they basically put the barcodes in 70% of the record stores and they were like, forget it. No more filling it out. We're just okay. going to go based on the actual sales. And the okay. craziest thing about this is that the record companies themselves didn't have to listen to Billboard. They knew the sales because they sold the records. When they went to this new version, the new, I think it's SoundScan or Soundscape, when they went to the new version, there were three genres of music and there's three particular acts that all overnight, they were like, holy crap, these acts sell a jillion records. We have to pay them more money. One okay. of them we just heard, Tim. 
Garth Brooks. Like they oh. were literally like the record company was run by Jeff and they, the record company was like, I don't care how much this sells. This sucks. I'm not spending a nickel <laughs> on it. F this yeah. guy. And they were like, dude, he sold out Cowboy Stadium. Yeah. Do an advertising budget. And they're like, did you hear the record? Because it's terrible. And they didn't give him any money. So uh -oh. Garth Brooks, all of a sudden, overnight, it's 1991. He goes from a mystery nobody, nobody's ever heard of, to America's biggest country star. Right. There's two other genres of music that were really, really popular that record uh, store owners were like, no, I don't feel like writing down what I sold that week. Can you guess them? Is it uh, hair metal? So metal is one. It's not hair metal. The, no the next act is Metallica. Yep. Dude, okay. Metallica and Slayer and that entire level of really hard to listen to metal. People right. loved it. I went and saw Metallica in, I don't know, 89, 90. I couldn't freaking believe. Like, it was packed to the yeah. gills. And they knew yeah. every note. And it was a football stadium. And I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Dude. The soundscan came in, and that's the next 91 is the Metallica year. They put out the Black Album. They sell a jillion records because the record company's like, oh, really? Oh, there's something to be made here. Yeah. Records? The third genre. Yeah, what is it? Gangster rap. Gangster rap. NWA. Oh. Dude, they were super embarrassed by it. They put a sticker on it. They wouldn't play it on MTV. They were like, oh, gangster rap is a disaster. As soon as the Southgate came in, they were like, oh, gangster rap is, is rap. That's the only thing we sell. And they just steered into that huge. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right. Oh, that's, so that's fascinating. Really interesting so question here is like, should the size of an audience dictate where art goes? And that's, you know, sometimes right. you're lucky enough that everyone falls in love with the Beatles. And sometimes everybody falls in love with Garth Brooks. Right. Or, or the and what you had before, yeah. and before what you had when you had before you had SoundScan, you had multiple layers of people trying to influence and be tastemakers. You had record store owners who was like, "I can't write Garth Brooks down. I'm going to write down somebody else that I think is better, yeah, right, just to try right. to help them out." Nielsen families like we watched The Incredible Hulk, but we wrote down Masterpiece Theater because I don't want to help make more Incredible Hulk shows. <laughs> but then once the cat's out of the bag and the genie's out of the bottle, record companies don't want to make art; they want to make money. Right, but we want to we want to listen to art. But when the art is designed to make money, the art goes right into the toilet, except yeah. in very rare circumstances. And that's why this is so noxious and why it's so dangerous to have to just base everything based on what will generate the biggest numbers. What generates the biggest numbers is sometimes the lowest common denominator. And in Garth Brooks's case, it's totally harmless. He actually seems like a good guy. I, he, he will never hear this because he's way too rich and famous. And if he does, he'll be laughing all the way to his Bentley and good for him. But sometimes that lowest common denominator is hurtful and dangerous and, and takes the whole country in a direction that it shouldn't go. And I, I worry about that all the time. I worry about that all the time. Like, so I love if, this. If I love art, this discussion. If an art this is company a great discussion. is supposed to make art, then it will make different choices than if an art company is forced to make money. And when... When record companies lost the permission to have great artists that made very little on their label, supported by crummy right, right. art that made a lot, when we lost that, that sliver of popular culture that was also daring and bold and thoughtful and innovative, we have trouble. And sometimes we get it back and sometimes we lose it. 
And sometimes it's in music and sometimes it's in film and sometimes it's in television. But Ben will tell you, yeah. the, the best American movies of the 70s put the best American movies of the 2000s to shame because yeah, yeah, yeah. film was still allowed to be art and it didn't cost $150 million to make one. But as, as film gets more and more expensive, they get, they get worse and worse and worse because they have to well, this, draw a bigger and bigger, bigger audience to break even. And this so, I'll say, I'll say uh, like, yeah. I, 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 like, you're actually quoting me back to me, but yeah. uh, music is different than film in the following way. The first thing I'll say about film and music and books and television is don't mix up art and commerce, man. Like you're making a mistake. Like these are for-profit companies and they've been for-profit companies the whole time. And, and there might have been a period where they were confused and not maximizing their profit, but that's what they've been about. And like, so don't like, don't get it, don't get, don't get it sideways. Like that's what they've done. Um, and then music actually though, it's weird because of the digitalization, like movies are different. It's really hard to make a cheap, awesome movie. It's not hard to make cheap, awesome art in music. Right. Wouldn't that's you right. agree? Right. Yeah, and dude, right. the democratization of that, you've had this weird thing where it's like the record companies are putting out fewer outstanding records. I completely agree with that. And the record companies are much more rapacious and solely commerce and much less about art. But at the same time, you've had this flowering of art. Like there's mm -hmm. never, in my opinion, there's never been a better time to be a music fan. Like there's no filter right. between me and the stuff that I hear. Like I just get to get a full range of everything and uh, between Spotify or other ways of receiving music, like you just have access to every possible yeah. thing you could ever imagine. Um, and my daughter's like between the TikTok stuff, but I mean, Dolly has really got it. She'll send me like the, like the super weird deep cuts um, that are not even on Spotify where she's like, oh, check out this mixtape. And they're good, oh, they're cool. really good. Well, I mean, that's our podcast, right? Yeah. We come across as a super highly produced, <laughs> highly financed <laughs> podcast. Yes. We're making Joe Rogan sweat a little the way we are piling up listeners. It's great. And I love the fact that you guys fell for my ruse and, and we've got to have this discussion. This is great. It actually... It reminds me a little bit of the fact that Reagan guts the FTC and like now news can be for money. Uh, and then we get Fox news and suddenly news becomes entertainment and we're watching local news talking about Britney Spears shaving her head rather than talking about like issues actually affecting our communities. It is fascinating. You, cho you chose the Fox news song of 1990, Tim. I couldn't agree more. I, that's, I too that's too tough. That's too tough. No, no, I know that it yeah. actually I, totally, exactly totally right. Fits. I'm exactly when you're right. looking at the audience of of uh, the Those CMT Fox video and guys in Texas been Stadium. Like Fugazi, no thank you. Somebody give oh, those yeah. guys a breath mint and tell them to calm down. Now this is some music. But that's the other thing guy. this song does for me is it takes me back to uh, 1995 when I moved to San Francisco and I was law, you know, it's that post-college, what am I going to do now? And I uh, was taking grad school courses at the University of San Francisco and we were uh, living in Haight-Ashbury, but we'd go over to, is it Noe Valley, Jeff? Yeah. And uh, the Rovers, an Irish bar there. And there was this one bartender who would close us and, and shove us out, but uh, she'd give us one more pint and play this song uh, every time we close that bar so this one is for her Aww. that's beautiful 
It's still oh. a bad song, but it's beautiful. <laughs> All right, guys. That I'm going to get upstairs to my Celtics. Nice job this week. Hey, good year next year. 91 to good. Peace out. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the set? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.